Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 10, which is titled Blizzard, which the episode aired on December 8th, 1994. Lauren, what was going on 25 years ago today? Well, first off, I wanted to note that this is a good three-week break after our last episode, and it's a wonderful, wonderful disaster episode, which is a nice, light, light-hearted affair after what we dealt with last week. Um, top song. Oh, the monkey's paw of this situation. So, it's no longer I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men, but Boys to Men still have the title with Unbended Knee. This is just the year of boys becoming men. Um, the movie is The Santa Claus. This movie is 25 years old, you guys. What the shit? This is my childhood. And then on 11-28, Jeffrey Dahmer was beaten to death in prison. And on 12-8, Daryl Strawberry of the New York Yankees was indicted for tax evasion. So lots of shitty things getting their comeuppance here. Daryl. Daryl. <laughs> Dark week. Yeah. Yeah. But a li- much later episode. This episode was directed by Mimi Letter and written by Neil Bear and Paul Manning. Uh, this is Mimi Letter's now third episode, uh, third out of eleven. Um, you know, we talked about her the last time a lot about her stuff last time uh, when she came up. But yeah, if you want to see more stuff by her, just go watch Deep Impacts and have all the feelings with Frodo and Morgan Freeman. <laughs> makes it sound like a very different movie than what it really is but you're so right frodo identifies the asteroid that's gonna kill everyone and morgan freeman's the president it's a beautiful movie everyone go watch it guys what happened in this episode today uh all right so let's start with the the viewership numbers uh 29.1 million viewers for this episode so we're trending upwards but i don't even think for one second that we've peaked because we have so much higher to go just in this one season like there's an episode there's a run actually of episodes coming up very soon here where we are like we're comfortably into the 30 million viewers range so it's yeah it's gonna get much higher from here all right, and with that, we're just gonna let Jerry take us into the episode. Dashing through the snow, an one horse open sleigh, o'er the fields we go, laughing all the way. Ha 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 ha! Bells on bobtails ring. Woo! Makes me feel proud. Oh, what fun it is to be So I just have to say, first off, Team Jerry. Second off, I absolutely love that cover of Jingle Bells that it cuts into. Not only is Jerry's rendition beautiful, but so is the one that they roll into from that. And yeah, so you can tell from uh, Jerry singing Jingle Bells that it is, uh, we are right around Christmas time, and uh, he actually, when he walks in the ER, uh, we switch over to a sort of like a clumsy point of view shot of someone rollerblading around. Uh, you can kind of tell it's you can kind of tell it's when it's wendy from the way she's like going whoa and just dodging people but then uh she crashes into jerry as he's walking in um 
Jerry catches her like a perfect gentleman. And yeah. Eh. And he asks, like, hey, it's hey, it's a slow day and Wendy says that there's not that there's not a single patient. Which even for a snowstorm, I have a hard time believing that, but hey, gives you a good premise for the episode. And he also throws in there that there's seventeen shopping days left until Christmas, so keeping up with our timeline. Yep, and he brings that up because she she looks outside and goes Oh, I should have bought cross-country skis instead. He goes, well, you still got 17 days till Christmas. You got time. And then we move into our next clip, which is Mark and Susan playing a prank on Carter. I feel like I'm okay. I love the first big snowstorm. Did Jen get out okay? She left yesterday. I thought she had till Wednesday. She went early. Early? Ah, sorry. Sorry. I don't want to talk about it. Why'd you bring it up? Towel clip. Towel clip. Why are we doing this? Because sticking his hand in a bucket of warm water will be juvenile. <laughs> So, I should also note with that clip that Mark and Susan have snuck into the room where Carter is sleeping. It's completely dark. They have dorky head flashlights on, and they're doing something suspicious under the cover of darkness. We don't see quite what they have yet. We see maybe bandages, but we don't know what they're up to. We just know it's no good. And they're also just so cute. Like, I want a whole episode of this. Just Mark and Susan playing semi-wholesome pranks yes. on different doctors. Yes. Um, but then after let's say, but then after that, we're yeah, like we said, we're still not sure what they're up to. But then we just sort of check in with everyone, see what everyone's doing on this slow day. Um, there's a news report playing in the background. Actually, fun fact uh, that the reporter's name or the news anchor's name is uh, Allison Rosati, and she has been a Chicago mainstay since 1990. And, like, she's still on, like, the 5 or 6 or 10 o'clock news. I forget which one. But I just, like, see her pop up in random times. But, yeah, no, she's had a solid, solid career here in Chicago with local news. And she was definitely a vivid part of my childhood with when my mom would and dad would be watching the news in the morning. She's on the NBC affiliate, right? Yeah, NBC5 Chicago. And we're still mad at Connie from the last episode. <laughs> Yep, we see her walk by with an armful of Christmas decorations, and we both just went, <sighs> just, just, why? But She has a chance to redeem herself. We'll see how long <laughs> it takes for us to not be mad at Connie. Oh, it's going to be a while. But right now, we're still mad at Connie. Yeah. And then we meet um, Roxanne, the temp clerk. She's absolutely useless, not answering the phones, not taking care of anything. I don't know how long we see her. This is the only one? This is it. This is the only appearance. Yeah, which it's kind of funny because later in the episode... So the, the actress uh, who plays her is named Alex Elias. Um, uh, she has a very unremarkable IMDb, like small bit parts and a few things, but nothing nothing really notable. Um, and later in the episode, she says something to the effect of like, you know, 
I'm never taking this job again or I'm never I'm never working here again or whatever. <laughs> and she's true to her word because this is the only time we ever see her. She never comes back. And good riddance, Yeah, I'm not honestly. sure what they were trying to accomplish with her character, but she's just sitting there painting her nails. Which are beautiful. Yes, they're quite lovely. And then we see Lydia walk back in and they're like, we thought you left. Like, what the hell? She's like, oh, I'm snowed in. My, like, my car is stuck. I can't go home. So Lydia's going to hang out with us, I guess. And we see Connie walk past Bob, and Bob is just on her hands and knees, scrubbing all the salt residue off the floor. And if you're not from a state where it snows a lot and you don't have to deal with salting the roads and how much gunk gets on your shoes when you tread that in, it leaves the most awful, disgusting, white, just residue on any, like, linoleum surfaces. It's like a film. And... It just, it looks so gross. And so you can see it all over the the floor from these nurses and these doctors trying to get in today. And Bob is just trying to stay on top of it. Or as she puts, puts it to Connie, keep the foot on it. Keep the foot up on it. Keep the foot up on it. She doesn't want the grime to get ahead of them. So she just keeps scrubbing away at these small circles of salt residue. And hey, props to her for keeping occupied. Yep. And Connie's like, well, you could put up decorations. She's like, nope, I gotta do this. Yeah. And then we get back over to Mark and Susan. Let's see what they're up to. He's kind of cute. Really? Yeah, he's got beautiful eyes, thick hair. It's a low blow. What's going on? Nothing. Nothing. Uh, We're just taking inventory. Gurney number A7403. You can go back to sleep. Carter's cartoon snoring is fun there. Like, it's he sounds like he's in a Bugs Bunny cartoon. I was going to say I didn't know they got a recording of me sleeping. (laughs) Planting the seeds for Lewis and Carter that will take many years to bloom. I want it to happen. But when we get to season nine. It will for like three episodes. It's longer than that. But anyway, that's... But yeah, and then we we do a quick flash over to another... um, TV report, Jerry's got his feet up on the counter and the TV's between them and he's just watching another little news clip about the snow and we see this, it goes past this kid where (laughs) this kid's waiting for the school bus or something and they've got their hat pulled all the way down to their chin. Like, you don't see their face at all and it's not like it's a balaclava. They legit just have pulled their snow cap all the way down to cover their entire head. (laughs) <laughs> and it just I don't know why it just made me laugh so hard, but it was it was a perfect winter shot for Chicago. Life is rough on these streets in the winter. You do not want that wind in your face. Ugh. But then we get the payoff to what Mark and Susan have been up to. It's much more visual, so I didn't grab the audio clip, but um but Mark lo- tries to look for a camera first and turns out someone stole the cam- security camera. You know, irony at its finest (laughs) this is kind of a messy sequence like there's lots of technical hiccups in the next like five minutes or so uh particularly with this set like the the nurse's station set so like jerry's showing green how to use the the intercom so they can call in carter and right as the camera pans around to to where uh, green and uh and jerry are you can see there's a boom mic visible in the glass like, it's one of those little, you know, it's it's a brief shot, but it's plain as day. And there's another one in just a second that we'll get to. 
how do I miss all of these? I had to go back and watch it a couple of times. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, did I see that? Yes, I did. And the other one is like, it's almost like, the other one's almost like magic. Like, your your attention is focused elsewhere, so you don't see this thing that is in very plain view just right on the other side of the frame. But it's because your attention is so focused on the other side of frame. But uh, Mark is getting everyone together, and he's yelling, and he's using the overhead mic for to get Carter and carter stat trauma one yeah and carter you know the ever uh what's the word i'm looking for diligent yeah the uh carter the ever diligent uh student comes rushing out of the room only to fall and hit his head on a tray that's right next to the because <laughs> <laughs> they put his leg in a cast over thanks. his pants yeah over his pants and his shoe <laughs> So yeah, he just runs out of the room and just falls flat on his face. <laughs> he just so the yeah. other the other part of the like technical glitch or, or I don't know glitch is not the wrong word but like technical goof here. Um, after they kind of all do the like group together thing and waiting for him to come out of the room, if you look, so they're all kind of framed center right. If you mm-hmm. look in the background over everybody's right shoulder, so to your left as you're watching the screen, there's a director's chair, like perfectly just sitting right in the back, back left corner of frame. And there's totally somebody sitting in it too. Like there's, huh. I don't know if it's the actual director or just somebody, you know, a production assistant or whatever, but like there's fully a director's chair with someone sitting in it right over everybody's shoulder. Uh, so kind of a messy well, I'm gonna have to watch this episode for a third time. Yeah, we got an, we have another one coming up here right after the theme. So, speaking of which, guess what, Daniel? We still start with a bang. Uh, it's a slow it. ass episode. It's jovial as hell. It's a perfect tinkle starter, and we still start with a bang. No tinkles <laughs> to, here on this holly to, jolly episode. It's a bang. We have got to clarify that it is a twinkle, not a tinkle. Like a, because I have to, you have to stop saying tinkle. But second of all, I here's what I'm I'm willing to concede on you that they may not have started to incorporate the twinkle until later. I still will not concede that it that it's a thing that doesn't exist because it totally does. Uh, but maybe they just take a while to get into a rhythm with it you know it's still the first season we're only 10 episodes in we got you know 321 of these bad boys to go so you know take it slow tinkle (laughs) (laughs) all right so we come out of the the credits uh and the the docs are having a snowball fight outside green lewis uh i know carol walks by but i can't remember who else is out there uh and when carol comes in they she's like really you've got time to be doing this and they're like yeah it's dead and she says never say dead to a charged nurse which being married to a nurse i can tell you you don't ever say that like you don't ever make any illusion or any reference to the fact that it's slow or it's dead or anything like that to a nurse because they will absolutely like it is a jinx to end all jinxes like they they know that as soon as you say that they're gonna get slammed um all right, so then we go into um, we cut to the nurses and Jerry having a soccer match on all of the uh, the little swivel spinny chairs in the ER, um, and this is where we get our third and final kind of goof of the opening sequence here. Carol actually enters the doors to the ER twice, so they kind of pan around what? and yeah, they kind of pan around the the 
nurse's station and uh, Malik is using the intercom now to like rap. He's he's doing like a little like freestyle rap and um, over his left shoulder or his right shoulder, our left, um, you see in the background, you see Carol coming in and she op- she cracks the door open. She shakes the snow off and and it's a it's a she's not the focus of the shot at all, but she's definitely there. And then you kind of get the wider shot of the whole soccer match and they do the whole thing. Then from there, they go immediately to a close-up shot of Carol coming through the door and making the exact same movement. Like she comes through the door, she cracks the door open, slides in, shakes the snow off, and then she's into the episode. So that's our that's our third and final goof for the episode. Cool. And then we, um, we go over to Bob putting up... Um starting to put up some of the Christmas decorations. She's staring very thoughtfully at a paper cutout of Santa's sleigh and a paper cutout of some reindeer. And she's originally got the reindeer behind the sleigh, but then Carter comes up and goes, you know, oh, um, you know, the reindeer pull the sleigh. Do you have Santa and reindeer in Poland? And she's like, yes, many reindeer. So we learned Bob's from Poland. Cool. And that they have reindeer there. <laughs> great and then Lydia quick um calls everybody over the intercom to the nurse's station and like Carol's like shh shh no stop it Lydia's like come on come on show us show us and Carol whips out a huge engagement ring and that is a complete 180 from the last episode with Tag screaming at her like when did this happen a little little bit well I guess they did have three weeks off because the last episode, know, like, it, it, the timeline kind of tracks too. Last episode was Thanksgiving. Now it's seventeen day, days till Christmas, so that's December eighth. It's so like two weeks. Two weeks. weeks. That might be enough time to get over a fight. I don't know. Yeah, and then um, perfect timing for Doug and Linda to waltz in from their trip to the Bahamas. I ba- think so. Not Nassau. So I think the Bahamas, and. Doug's like, oh, what's go- like, what's going on? Why is everybody so excited? And everybody gets real quiet. And Carol goes, oh, John Taglieri and I are engaged. Why does she call Tag by his full name? We've never really heard, like, since we became familiar with this character, we've never heard anybody, like, refer to him that way. And it just seems really formal for her specifically to do that when... She knows perfectly well Doug would know who she was talking about if she just said tag. I feel like it's kind of like a rubbing it in Doug's face sort of motivation. Like, oh, John Taglieri, not Doug Ross, <laughs> has asked me to marry him. And I said yes. I don't know. Boom. I feel like Carol's past that. Like, she doesn't even want to tell Doug. If it was up to her, she would have kept the like kept it to herself all day. It's either that or... It might have been that they filmed this episode out of order. Mm. So maybe like the writing yep. is a little bit different. Disjointed. Yeah, exactly. Like the, like necessarily like the order that they, they might have like filmed this episode like second or something like that. And now it's the 10th yeah. episode of the season. John Taglieri. I, I'm willing to bet they probably stacked at least the last episode and this one and maybe the one after to try to give them a holiday break. Like, I'm betting that they probably stacked several episodes in a row just so that they would have them done so they wouldn't even have to have them shoot over the holidays. So they probably they probably did several shots out of order. Well, either way, uh, Doug and Linda are telling everyone about their vacation. She seems 
less than happy that he didn't really want to do anything other than lie around, which is sort of my ideal vacation. It's just sort of lying around, getting some sun. Same. Uh, yeah, her quote was, uh, Doug's idea of a perfect vacation is lying in a beach chair for a week with a parasol drink in his hand. And she makes it sound like it's really boring, but that sounds fantastic. Oh my god. Just with some nice clear blue ocean on white sand. And just a nice, lovely, like, frozen margarita or something like that in my hand. I want a pina colada. I hate... Uh, Coconut and banana. Yeah, the whole the whole flavor profile of pina colada is just nasty crap to me. Get at me. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Team Lizzie here. I know, y'all share the same flavor tastes, and I'm just over here being a heathen. But anyway. <sighs> Carol. Um, Carol... She immediately chimes back in with, oh, sounds pretty good to me. And everyone just, like, glares at her. And, like, yikes, lady. Like, you were just sort of rubbing it in his face that you were getting married to John Taglieri. And, (laughs) like, Linda is like, what the fuck, bitch? (laughs) Yeah, that's actually... If there were captions on a facial expression, that would have been it. So what the fuck? Like, she knows exactly what's up. She knows exactly who Carol is to Doug. And yeah. she's not having it. And we'll get more of more of them later in the episode. Ugh. And then we get another beautiful Roxanne quote. She's sitting at the nurse's station next to Dr. Green. And we just hear her ask, If you had an alien baby, would it show up on the pregnancy test? The phone is ringing while she's asking this, mind you. Yes. And then we see Wendy fly by in the background and crash into stuff on her roller skates. So that's still going on. And then Carol ends up just answering the phone because Roxanne is useless. And we get a dispatch call asking their status. We don't find out why quite yet, but the um, dispatch just wants to check in to see what, what capacity the ER has to take patients. Yeah, I imagine, uh, especially on a bad weather day like the, like this, that would be a regular thing. Fair. And then um, Linda comes right back in and goes, ah, shit, my Lexus is snow plowed in. Can I use your phone? Bleh. And then she just, and Carol hands her the phone, and all of a sudden she snatches Carol's hand and looks at the ring and starts examining it. And we find out that that ring is $12,000. And Carol looks mortified. Wouldn't you be? Yeah. I don't want anything over, like, $100 on my hand. I'll break it. Exactly. Like, I would fucking <laughs> lose that shit so hard. And <laughs> No. Especially working something like a nurse. I wouldn't want to bring that to work. But after that, we get a little bit more of the group just sort of playing around, doing, some, doing their soccer thing. Um, everything's all nice and calm until... Read you tend to. Go ahead, dispatch. General, implement disaster protocol. Mass casualty alert. 32 vehicle pileup on the Kennedy Expressway. Over. Is this a drill? Over. Negative, General. This is not a drill. 18 majors, 29 minors. Fire at scene. Rescue vehicle access and communication limited by weather. We're calling out a plan one. Over. Roger, dispatch. Do you have an estimate on the number of casualties? Over. 50 to 100. Over. How many are coming to us? Over. Mercy's power is down. You may get them all. Over. 
on the Kennedy Expressway south of the Grand Exit, where 28 cars and three trucks were involved in a collision just minutes ago. According to reports from the scene, the accident started when a single car went into a 360-degree spin, hitting everything in its way. Police say at least 41 people are injured and others are still trapped in their cars. To make matters worse, emergency vehicles are having trouble getting to the scene on the roads that are still unplowed. Oh boy. Here we go. Just the complete tonal shift of everyone just getting dead silent. And, ugh, I love it's it. It's very, re very reminiscent of the pilot, like, where everything was kind of running smoothly and the tone was, was one way, and then the news report comes out about the building collapse and the tone changes and everything like the music changed the pace changed and everything like it very it was very reminiscent of that for me but i feel like this one is like way more is because they go from like zero patience whatsoever oh yeah like a normal like normal er day which is usually you know i'm sure busy enough to oh uh oh we're the only er open in the city that can take yeah. all these people and holy shit I found it, I just found it funny when, um, when Carol's just like, well, is this a drill? It's like, well, if it was a drill, do you think they'd honestly tell you that? Yeah, I thought about that too. Like, I don't know. It, if it's on a, in a bad weather situation like this, I think maybe they would. I also don't think they would do a drill in a bad weather situation like this, but maybe, you know, it's. But yeah. And then, um, watching the staff move into preparation and action mode for the high mass of patients they're about to receive. It's just such a cool montage. Like it was a little over faded when they were doing the, like the intersecting images. Mm -hmm. Cause it goes really fast through this montage. And I think some of them were a little too conflicting, but overall it was a really nice visual and it really gave you the sense of urgency and like hustle that the whole department gets into gear. And, and the then... gravity too. Like it's so like, you know, it's very it's a very like foreboding uh the, there's a, kind of this like impending tension or doom like behind it like it's like they're it, the music is very like somber and like it's like it's you know that it's gonna be it's gonna be bad right carter looks fucking petrified and then it's a great tension build when they fade to commercial with all of them waiting in the hallway, just nervously watching those doors to see what is about to come through them. And then after commercial, we come back and we have Doug coordinating the incoming patients and their tag designations to find out just how urgent it is for them to be seen. And this is going to be really important later in the episode. Yeah, one of the, the first patients that gets brought in um, is being brought in by that male paramedic that we had introduced a few episodes back i'm trying to remember exactly which episode it was but um we remarked at the time we kind of made fun a little bit that his name his character name is listed as camacho and we were like nobody's actually going to call him that he's not important enough a character for that but lo and behold fucking doug comes out with what what do you got camacho or something like that and it's like god damn this guy actually got a a uh, character name shout out and everything so good for you bud but we just see like all of the chaos that the show does so well um you just see a lot of people riding gurneys and doing chest compressions and just doctors flying everywhere unnamed staff just moving and moving everywhere and all these the all the the walking wounded as they sometimes call them not in this episode but um 
but just all of like the non-critical people just walking around confused with bandages all over them and like what the fuck is going on and then mark uh carter just is looking just more and more flustered and mark grabs him and just says, carter jump in use your head stay supervised which is a very very mark thing to say yeah like get in, get involved but cover your ass this is as good a place as any to mention this. So uh, there's a line, a very specific line in this episode that I wanted to highlight. And I, I forgot to mark down the timestamp on it when I watched the episode the first time through. And then I didn't have time to go back and rewatch. I tried scrubbing through to see if I could find where it was, but I wasn't able to. So we're, we're just going to mark it here because this is kind of uh, in the same vein as giving Carter advice and, and guidance. You got to hurry it up, Carter. You got a million things to do. So this line is actually, um, it's pretty important. Like, it, it doesn't seem like it in the in the moment, but, and it's not really important narratively to this episode. It doesn't, you know, foreshadow anything or anything like that, but it's significant in the series as a whole. So when Carter, spoiler, when Carter leaves at the end of season 11, I believe, um, one of one of the last shots is of him walking down the hallway of the ER as he's leaving and he's kind of like internally reminiscing about his time in the ER and everything he's been through and he he keeps hearing these voices you know he hears Benton he hears Green um, and he hears Carol and the thing he hears Carol say is hurry up Carter you've got a million things to do and it's the line from this episode. And I just thought that was so cool that they brought back this very, like, nothing line from an early season one episode. And it has this, like, greater significance later on down the road for for Carter and, you know, his kind of conclusion of his arc. I just thought that was really neat. Very much so. I'm, I'm going to be so sad when we get to that episode. Um, and then we go into a trauma. And I can't remember exactly what was wrong with this patient. But they use the word flaccid to describe the patient's limbs several times. And while I know it's grammatically and medically correct to describe a limb as flaccid, I just really wish they hadn't. <laughs> it just really, it, it stood out a lot to me in that scene. And I was just like, oh, that's right up there with like moist for just pulling me out of a, pulling me out of a dramatization. So that was my juvenile thing for this episode that I had to note. Yeah. And uh, I want to take a moment just to highlight the cinematography on this episode because everything, as you're going through all, seeing all these patients, seeing all of these doctors, seeing everything, it's all just so fluid and like, there's not a whole lot of like long takes, but like the cuts that they do make are just very deliberate and just you're going from one side of the ER to the other to the to back and it's just, everyone gets a little moment to shine around here and i just find that amazing and this is one of my favorite episodes overall like in the entire series and part of that is because of this because everyone gets a moment Mm -hmm. and it's very Mm -hmm. dynamic and fluid exactly like there's no like from here on out it's just all killer no filler this is a quick watch like it's it blows by our our recap for the rest of this is going to feel just about as scattered and hectic as that actual episode goes because there is no following any one patient in a cohesive way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then at one point, Benton calls for a bone crusher. And I forgot this is Benton we're talking about. So I looked over at Lizzie horrified and I was like, what the hell is a bone crusher? And they were nice enough to inform me that he is talking about an orthopedic team member. And I was like, oh yeah, because this is Benton and he has names for everything. 
Pill pushers, bone crushers. Names that no one cares about. I I got another one coming up in a couple of seconds, actually. But, yeah, and then in the background we hear everybody gossiping about Carol's ring, and patients are like, oh, my God, that's a rock. Well, it's the woman. Yeah. She's uh, uh, testing a woman's eyesight, and... She's like, how many fingers am I holding up on one hand? She's three. And then she holds up her other hand that has the ring on it. She, and the woman's just like, oh, such a rock. Lucky girl. Right in front of Doug, too, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, so Carol's just super embarrassed and rolls her eyes. And um, then we have Benton spouting full rhyming nonsense today. We hear him in a trauma room scream, heal him and wheel him. Yeah, just as they're trying to cycle through the trauma rooms and... That's exactly what they're trying to do. They're just trying to get everyone out of the ER since the ER is so overwhelmed. You know, you just got to do what you can for them down there and then move them on up to the OR or whatever floor they're going to. Um, and then lovely Jerry is doing what he can. He's just helping putting bandages on the easy patients, the ones that like don't require stitches or anything like that, just have minor wounds and just needs just need a Band-Aid and some antibiotics. Our, our sweet, gentle giant. And then Linda, too, is also just helping. She sees the overwhelmed uh, temp clerk at the desk and just jumps right in to help with the the phones that are ringing off the hook. And, you know, I guess she she somehow knows, like, all these extensions and, like... Well, she's really just doing line transfers. She's not... That's fair. And they give her the phone tree. Oh, do they? Yeah, Carol says, here, like... Because Linda's like, how can I help? And Carol hands her the phone tree and is like, call these Mm. and see what we can get done. Yeah, this is easily the most likable and useful she's been since she debuted. It made me remember her name. Like, I actually (laughs) cared about her this episode enough to call her by her name instead of that pharmaceutical rep. But yeah, and then it's it's really gross. Um, A guy comes in and he's like, oh, I kind of hurt my hand. And he uncovers it and he's missing his thumb. As a guy who almost cut his thumb off last year, this was pretty upsetting. Like, I was like, yeah, brought back some unpleasant memories. The fact that he's not so nonchalant about it, just like, oh, yeah, like, oh, yeah, my thumb's gone. And it's like, where is it? Right here. And just holds up a bag. Like, oh, we're okay. We're just going to red tag him straight to the OR. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Carter. And then we, (laughs) sorry. And then we get Carter working with a struggling patient who is not, who does not speak English. And he's like, no, no, you'll be fine. And he's just like jamming an IV into her and putting an oxygen mask on her. And we just assume she's been, she's been like yellow tagged or something and needs immediate assistance. So this patient will come back later in the episode. And it's, it's, a, I want you to make note of her because this will be important later. And then we have another guy wheeled in speaking of disgusting visuals. This guy comes in. They're like, "Oh, his the um his leg's gone. They're still out looking for it on this on the road." And they actually show the amputated leg, and it's just this bloody, gory stump. Mm. And I think it's the first time we've really seen a gory injury. Like, yeah, we've seen them kind of cut people open and everything, but we've never really seen like the gore injuries too bad so far. The only other one I can really think of is from the pilot. Remember the guy with the wrist or the hand? Mm. Yeah. Like they they kind of they kind of laid that on right immediately, but then they think they dialed it back until now. Yes, and then there's a guy screaming in the background saying like, "Don't let him do it. The Foley's a bad idea or something." And I thought it was David uh, Kochner. Kochner. I was convinced, and I actually had to go look on IMDb to before I pulled a hey, it's that guy, and it not be that guy. So 
I was ninety <laughs> percent sure this was David Keckner in the background. It's not. No, it's not. Just, he just he a random is, guy. He is kind of a guy. Like he was a, a. I don't think he was a main character, but he was a character on the West Wing for four seasons. So he's. Well, now I have to look at his picture and see maybe that's where I recognized him. Just <laughs> David, a moment. His name is David St. James. James. I got yeah. it. But after that, we get uh, Mookie, who actually showed up a little earlier, but we just sort of breezed past it because that first 10 minutes just sort of like was like, what are we even watching? Um, <laughs> yeah, he was asked to get some like liners and change out some trash bags. Yeah, and got sassed by uh, Hale for giving her sass. Um, but yeah, he's just looks so in awe and so dumbfounded at the chaos and all the blood and everything around him. He's just holding he's just holding a box full of uh, gauze pads. I forget what the exactly, but Malik just walks, just like sort of run, half runs by him and just says, "Get in there, Mookie," or whatever, something like that. Yeah, get in gear, go take those to I think Doug or something. Like, to no, to uh, Benton. Yeah, because somebody yeah. needs them. Yeah, and then uh, we that's because benton's working on the guy who's missing his leg and mookie just gets in there with the pads and he's just standing there like holy shit like that's a lot of blood and then of course right on cue <laughs> uh lydia mm. gets squirted on the th- on her goggles thankfully she's wearing protective eyewear of course um which is exactly what you do and why you do that in situations like this but uh just gets a huge squirt of blood all up her face yeah all of, all of her face and she just goes whoa we got a pumper and Oof. mookie looks like he's about to faint mvp so then from there we cut over to kind of the the emergency room entrance and doug is still still uh triaging patients as they come through and he gets a guy who comes in who seems to be fine like he's responsive he's not unconscious he's not obviously bleeding um so doug just kind of green tags him and then uh it's mr ramos is his name he's kind of an older older gentleman and uh green or i'm sorry doug green tags him and then uh says put him in the put him in the lounge and that's kind of the last we hear of him for a while but this is another one much like uh, carter's sedation patient earlier we're gonna come back to mr ramos and it's gonna kind of it's not gonna go good for doug Yep, and then there was like a three-year-old little girl who got brought in by the EMTs, and they weren't. She wasn't with her parents or anything, and so she just kind of is getting passed around the staff to whoever can watch her in the moment. And in that moment, like the next moment, we this clip we have is Hale doing what Hale does best and connecting with a patient and taking care of this sweet little girl who is sobbing her eyes out. so heartwarming and just the scene of because they focus in tight on her and the kid um going more to that cinematography beautiful cinematography that i was talking about like they focus right in on the kid and her and you just see all the chaos in the background just all the moving parts 
and as they slowly like spin around you just see more and more just shit going around around everywhere and then just right in the center of it is just this warm heartwarming moment it's good and then we go outside and patrick's back he's walking into the er um he must be freezing he's in nothing but like a three-quarter length sleeve hoodie and his helmet he's walking in playing with a snowball (laughs) and he walks into all this chaos and insanity just kind of looking around and carol immediately frets over him just how'd you get here i walked why i don't have a driver's license and then he points up at the awful abomination of christmas decorations that bob had hung up in one lump instead of untangling everything and he just goes those look better when they're straight which just killed me and so, carol carol gives him a pat on the back and she says go to it patrick yeah she just yeah. like she's like you'll be fine like she trusts that like he's not gonna get in any trouble so she's like go on like just kind of waves him off i like two gives him two implications do. out of that interaction i love i love that you know i love patrick being back i think he fits much better in this episode than he did in his original appearance yes um i think he adds a lot more to the story here and is just kind of a it's just nice to see him um and i also too like too that like he's just sort of part of the er like they just they're like yeah he works he helps like and they just like give him stuff to do and i just like you know right and i like that they trust like like i said that they trust that He's not going to get himself in trouble. He's going to, like, follow directions. And then we um, we see Morgan Stern's got here. The sweater he's wearing is absolutely hideous. And that is the <laughs> dorkiest hat I've ever seen. But he's like, all right, guys, what's the situation? And Mark gives him the rundown. And he takes the walkie-talkie over from Mark. And he says, all right, Mark, go be a doctor. And then he starts asking for updates on, like on the status of the OR docs and if they need to bring more in and everything. And then we hear somebody ask, Carol, will you page Svetic? We, and like, we haven't heard anything from him yet. Yeah. He's mentioned again later in the episode. Yeah. Like I, I swear we're done with him. Like, and it's weird that they refer to him as if he didn't end the last episode wandering through traffic. Like, they're just like, oh, yeah, have you seen Svetic? Like, dude, he was trying to get hit by a car the last time we saw him. I don't think he's in today. Like, I'm thinking there's going to be, like, one more phoned-in mention probably in the next episode or two, just wrapping that up really loosely. Yeah, but I, I think, think that, this... that supports our theory that these episodes might have been filmed out of order. Like, I think the other way you can look at it, too, is nobody knew he was that bad off. It could very easily be that, like... He's gone and gotten himself in trouble, and none of the like extended staff would know anything about it. And That's Susan true, still hasn't yeah. been able to get a hold of him. So it could go kind of either way there. The out-of-order theory is probably more likely, but my headcanon to make it not so glaring is that, like, of course, like, Lydia or Malik wouldn't know where Svetic is. Like, <laughs> they wouldn't yeah, know what he's sure. been going through at all, so... That's my bullshit way to explain that. No, it, it makes sense. And then, yay, Steve the radiologist is back. Um, he comes in and they're like, all right, go do stitches. We need That's where we need your help. He's like, I haven't done those since I was an intern. He looks horrified at the idea of having to actually like touch a human. His jacket is also quite Yes. Big. That is a great that jacket. That windbreaker. 
and then we get immediately from there we get introduced to as we mentioned in the last episode we had our first kind of semi-regular characters depart with Langworthy and uh, Svetik I was surprised to see that immediately one of them at least one of them gets replaced like we get Dr. Hicks coming in here played by CCH Pounder who we kind of mentioned I think back in episode three with uh, Rosemary Clooney that she got beaten out or was something she was also nominated in the same category at the Emmys that year um, with CCH Pounder for her appearance on a different show so now she's joining the cast and she will be the new attending uh, surgical doc and we're gonna see as we go along in this episode like she's she's got a much different rapport with especially Benton and a much different approach um, than we've seen in the past and I I really like the dynamic between her and Benton it's one that evolves over time but especially these early glimpses into their their kind of back and forth is I like it I like where we're going with this yeah to me it felt really strange because it seems like she almost fills that void narratively for Benton where Langworthy left where Langworthy was just getting ready to be his mentor and then she leaves and conveniently this other woman steps in and is already ready to be that. Yeah, and I my headcanon on that is that I think that the actress that played Langworthy was not she was not convincingly old enough for them to think that the audience would buy it as her being the mentor. Which is yeah. it, it's kind of bullshit, but I could see the thought process that would lead them to a conclusion like that, where they would say, you well, know what, she's just, she, they're, they're, they would have too much temptation to play with the romance storyline if they mm, left her there. And with Hicks, fair. with Hicks, I don't ever see that. I mean, it, it doesn't happen. And I think there's enough separation between them age wise that I don't think they ever felt the temptation to explore it. So I think this fits much better narratively for Benton. And then we find out um, Benton actually knows the guy that he's been working on. His name is Dex, and this is the guy with the amputated leg. Guess he's from his neighborhood or something. I didn't mm-hmm. quite catch how they know each other, but... Yeah, he, he said, I know so, him from the neighborhood. Yeah, so Benton's actually got an invested stake on this patient. Now, not that he doesn't on every patient, but now he's really like, oh shit, I owe it to this guy. And then we go back to Roxanne again. Seriously, she walks into the trauma. We're where Benton is working on decks and she's just like can someone sign my time card it's been eight hours Jesus Christ eh. read the room and Benton's like get her out of here like there's a dude hemorrhaging blood on the gurney or previously hemorrhaging blood on the gurney <laughs> yeah and so she just goes oh and walks out and we go over to another patient, and this guy's like, oh, I was trying to light a cigarette when it happened. And he unbuttons his shirt, and he has a cigarette lighter impaled into his chest. And for <sighs> those of you too young to remember, cars used to have cigarette lighters where you would push them in. And then after they were hot, they would come out, and they would have this burning electric coil on the inside. And that's what you would use to light the end of your cigarette. I have burned myself on one of those multiple times in my old 1987 Chrysler LeBaron that I had. That was my wow. first car. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry to pull us out of this lovely auto discussion, but I think we really owe it to Mr. Ramos to find out that he is dead in the lounge after being incorrectly triaged by Doug as a green card. Oh, no. Oh, no, Doug. Oh, no, Doug. So they pull him back, try and figure out what's going on with him. Yeah, Doug takes this really hard. 
To be fair, I would too if I looked at a guy and thought, yeah, he's fine, and then he died like 10 minutes later. That's fair. I'd look at that and be like, well, shit, I fucked up. Yeah, he does the whole, like, he does the, I think right after that is when they, like, because they start working on him, like, right away, and they, like, wheel him out of the lounge, and Clooney, or Doug, is doing chest compressions on him as they're going out. Those are some fucking Mm -hmm. weak sauce compressions. Like, he is, like, bending his elbows and, like put no effort into it whatsoever like you're you're better than that Clooney. let's let's step your game up but during all this the stupid white boy with a skin with a ski mask on or the, the he's ski got like a skiing on. outfit or something yeah he's just one like he has like a minor injury to his hand it's like i he's, hurt my hand yeah he's like he comes into the trauma room while they're like working on mr ramos and just like he's bitching about how long he's had to wait like Dude. No, no, he asks how long he'll have to wait. Yeah, but, like, in... Yeah, but he's, like, I need, I like, I need... And the nurse originally was, like, I'll get you some ice for your hand. and But he's, like, he comes back and he's, like, well, no, I want to be seen. It's, like, dude, have some priorities here. Yeah, have some fucking chill, dude. Are there ski resorts in Chicago? No. Why, why is he no, a no, ski... No. Why is he in ski I... clothes? Okay, I'm right. Like, that looks like a ski outfit. No, yeah, that's that's definitely, like classic like ski clothes like he's got everything but the goggles and it's like what's why are we dressed for like, skiing I mean, it's he could have been going sledding maybe i would and buy, also yeah. the weather in chicago calls for that level of protection sometimes like especially if it was very cold along with the snow yeah like no yeah you know, i mean I, I, would... I would expect somebody to be bundled up i just thought it was strange that he looks so kind of stereotypically skier and there's it's flat so, I don't know. But then we cut over to poor Carter. He's still limping around, and he's he's really just doing his best this episode. <laughs> That's all we ask. Yeah. Um, he's walking over and uh, giving Steve the radiologist suture tips. He's like, "Oh, if you you know trim that edge and do it do it this specific way, it'll look a lot it'll look a lot nicer and minimize scarring." And Steve's like, "Yeah, yeah, thanks. Right, cool, yeah. thanks, yeah." <laughs> um. Carter looks so proud of himself. Yeah, and Linda's still uh, super busy on the phones. Uh, she's trying to get food down here for the entire, you know, cavalcade of humanity that has descended upon the ER. <laughs> um, and when, for some reason, like, the cafeteria people just, like, hang up on her. And so she was like, fuck it, and just orders 30, 30 large pizzas. Charged to her account. Yeah, for, to her I'm assuming her expense account that she has. Yeah, because I mean, she was technically doing business at an ER. Yeah. So. But yeah, and at the nurses' station, from there we swing over to we see Patrick keeping an eye on that little girl, and just like not necessarily watching her, because like I think Wendy's with them too, but he's just kind of keeping her company, and he's like he's blown up a giant latex balloon and is like playing peekaboo with her and just like helping keep her happy and calm, which is very sweet. And then we go over to Susan, and the patient she's dealing with is an elderly man, and his wife is there. And the wife is, of course, like, well, no, I want to see a real doctor. When's the doctor doctor get here? Because, again, because Susan is a young woman, she's not a doctor. That old lady sucks. Yeah, and so she's like, I want to see our doctor. Call doctor blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, there's a, you know, if you want to go in the waiting room, there's a payphone. You can can reach out to him while we handle this and 
it doesn't seem like there's time for that. It looks like there's an aortic aneurysm happening now. And Bob's wheeling over a crash cart just in case and just seems very invested in this patient, like very interested, watching with a lot of concern, which we haven't really seen Bob engage with any of the patients yet. So this is kind of interesting that she's suddenly just like, oh no, this man. And then we go back over to Patrick, causing a little trouble. He puts some Christmas music in the tape deck and points the PA microphone at it and starts <laughs> blaring Christmas music over the speakers of the ER while all this chaos is going on. Doug is really pissed off about it. Yeah, he's, he's just like, right. who the fuck? Yeah, well. I know, obviously much he less doesn't cur- drop that. But. Much less <laughs> cursing than that. But It would be, I mean, it would fuck them up, like, in a real trauma. Like, that would absolutely fuck them up. So I could see why yeah. he would be mad. Yeah, because then they're cutting back over to uh, working on Mr. Ramos, and there's just this random ass nun. This out of is nowhere so that they focus fucking on. weird. And which is like watching Mr. R- them working on Mr. Ramos, and Daniel, you have a oh hey, it's that person. Yeah, sort of. I mean, she's her name is Lorin Vozov. Uh, she most famously appears in NYPD Blue and Star Trek Voyager. This is such a weird character to me. Like, this is such a... Because she's given this sort of, like, undue significance. Like, she is presented as this, like... Like, because she's shot initially from the back, so you just kind of see the back of her head in, like, silhouette. It's like... It's almost it's almost like they treat it like a reveal and that she's going to be, like, this more significant character than she is. And, like... I don't know. It's just real. I don't even know if we ever see her again. I certainly don't remember seeing her after this episode. It's it's very odd to me. I don't know what what they were going for here. And then we go over to Carter, and he's greeting Mister Twee. Right? Is that how we say it? I have no idea. Yeah, I'm not, Twee. I wasn't even going to try to pronounce it. Yeah, Mister Twee. And they're like, okay, great. Um, Twee, Twee. Oh, I worked on your wife. She's sedated and resting comfortably over here. <laughs> um. And Mr. Twee's like, no, she wasn't in the accident with me. I called her to come pick me up. So this poor woman drives to the ER to wait for her husband to pick him up once he's discharged and instead gets assaulted by this young white male (laughs) and pumped full of sedatives (laughs) because he doesn't speak her language. And he kind of just, like, laughs it off. Like, he's kind of like, oh. He's he's like, oh, like, it's almost like one of those, like, SNL, like, Debbie Downer, like, look into the camera, like, meh, like, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I fucking sedated you, my bad. Like, And we just... don't, we don't see anything else happen with that. The guy just swears in his native tongue, and then we go on to see what else is going on. And Lizzie pointed out, that's a lawsuit. Oh, 100%. And yeah, then we go back over to... Mr. Ramos and Doug for the last time. Uh, Mr. Ramos has unfortunately passed on. Um, and this fucking nun. Like, what the fuck? This is so like, weird. We've never seen any religious figure in the hospital, like, whatsoever. No chaplains, no, like, random, even just, like, random, like, rabbis or anything like that or whatever. You, other religious figures that would might come through an ER, but like she's just there and she's like everyone like stops and like gives her like a supreme amount of respect, like and just like doesn't like 
everyone le stays in the room. Like, not like you don't have, like, 80 other patients that need your help. It it was kind of reminiscent to me of when they all watch um, that older gentleman sing and say goodbye to his wife in episode one, I think. Yes, but on a much smaller scale and much less earned. Yes. Yeah. But it yeah. felt like they were going for that same kind of weight. But it just, it just falls immensely flat because we have no idea who the fuck this character is. And, and we never see her again. Right, yeah, that's the that's the thing to me. Like, if they were establishing some sort of recurring character here, and maybe they thought they were. Like, maybe they, maybe they had plans for her beyond this episode, and, and there was just a poor response, maybe. I don't know. But I'm, yeah, I'm so weirded out by this whole sequence because it just comes, like you said, it's so unearned. Like, they're trying to go for this, like, very poignant thing, and it's just like, we've never seen her before. Why should we care? Yeah, this is definitely the low point in the episode for me. And in other news, in 90s fashion watch, Doug's tie is actually pretty alright in this episode. It didn't offend me. <laughs> I think it's just okay in comparison to all the other <laughs> Like, Well, yeah. I think it's all relative. That's... I didn't say it was great. I said it was pretty okay. <laughs> and Ski Boy is still trying to get help. Go away, Ski Boy. Ugh. And then we get Bob's big moment. So Bob! Bob, to this point, has been, you know, just the the epitome of a throwaway character. Like, she's just there in the most there way you can be. Um, but so this, the, we're, we're back again with, with Lewis's patient, who they've determined at this point has a full uh, aortic aneurysm that is, like, ready to burst, which is, like, that is one of the worst things cardiac-wise that you can deal with. Like, that's bad people people die from that in and you know from one minute to the next so there's just time is of the essence here there's no or available for them to operate on him uh benton is swamped with the trauma next door uh they need a, a surgeon and an anesthesiologist they're totally unprepared for this and so they're kind of scrambling lewis especially is kind of running around with her hair on fire trying to corral all this stuff she goes and talks to hicks and hicks tells her what she needs and so she's she's running around Lydia and who's the other nurse that's with is it Wendy? Yes. Yeah, Lydia. I remember Wendy's petrified face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Lydia and Wendy are um are there doing um chest compressions and bagging him. Um and Bob just jumps in, grabs gloves, puts them on, like cuts him uh, opens his chest up, like does does the repair right there in the ER without thinking twice about it. And the expressions on Wendy and Lydia's faces during this are just priceless. Like they are horrified at what they're seeing. Like, because this is Bob, this is the <laughs> last episode. She was putting up Halloween decorations on Thanksgiving. Like there, if there could be a, per like, I think they'd have been less horrified if Jerry jumped in and <laughs> So, yeah. So, Bob saves the day. She, you know, she does what she's supposed to do. They come back in. Lewis comes back in, and she's like, okay, we're ready to... What the fuck? Like, what is going on? And Lydia's just like, Bob fixed it. And she's standing there, and she's like, Bob? And Bob's hands are covered in blood. She's shaking. She's panicking. 
and Bob runs out of the ER. And we are going to pick up the thread on that a little bit later. But I thought it was so cool that, like, we find out that secretly Bob is a beast. Like, everyone, I'm assuming, thinks she's just, you know, kind of an idiot and who doesn't really know how to be on the sort of orderly side of things. But, yeah, like you said, she's a beast. And then, yay, the little the little girl who had no parents, they found her. They've shown up, and somehow they went to the right ER, and they're <laughs> reunited. And they give her a big hug, and they're crying and happy to see her. And then Patrick hugs them all, and it's the cutest thing. But then also, yay, they found Dex's leg. And because all the ORs are taken and all the surgeons are busy, uh, Dr. Why am I Hicks. having trouble with her name now? Dr. Hicks decides, hey, Benton. Let's get this started here in the trauma room. Here's what we need. Like, she's going to support this young man learning how to help reattach a leg. So they call for all the equipment that they need, and they get started reattaching this guy's, what, femoral artery? Yes, something like that. That's where they start, Tibial artery, maybe. Yeah, and then we, we go by Morgenstern congratulating Susan on the vascular save. He's like, I've seen chief surgical residents who couldn't do better or who could do worse than that. Something like that. And just it's like, oh, yep. Okay, great. And after that, Carter, he's trying so <laughs> hard, he's trying so hard with his with his cast. Uh, Carol has brought in a wheeled in a guy who was on a motorcycle out in this shit. Ugh. And you know, bring him he's obviously not hurt that badly, so he's just sort of hanging out. Um, then we get Carol and the motorcycle guy into Carter and the motorcycle guy. So let's give it a listen. Do you know what we call motorcycles around here, Ice? No, why? Donor cycles. <laughs> Donor cycles. I like that. Yeah, you would. You gotta hurry it up, Carter. You got a million things to do. Hi. What the hell are you doing? I'm trying to get this cast off. How the hell do you change your pants, man? The Purami is a joke. And now it's starting to hitch! <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. Eight casts in six months. Dog sat on me. Dropped my Nighthawk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Relax, Doc. This won't hurt a bit. You know, if you know what you're doing, those saws that they use to take off casts are actually pretty safe. They, if you know what you're doing. Yeah, I was going to say, and, they can know. be. My brother had a cast when he was a kid, and the doctor, who is actually a doctor, said, oh, you know, don't worry, this won't hurt a bit, and then actually did cut his arm with it. So, <gasps> yeah. I got lucky. The, the one time I've had a cast on my arm, I came out perfectly unscathed. Oh, and then from there, we um, we get a quick snip of Carol and Doug actually getting along. Carol's sweet enough to offer to come with Doug while Doug um, tells Mrs. Ramos about what happened. And Doug's like, no, I've got this. And he goes and he tells Mrs. Ramos, and he actually doesn't try to sugarcoat it, doesn't try to work around it, just is like, you know, he came in, we weren't able to save him, we're sorry. Like... He actually, this is a character growth moment for Doug. He doesn't take the easy way out. He doesn't try and make it easier on himself. He just owns up to it and tries to move forward. He's getting better. 
We think, maybe. Maybe. Ish. Kind of, sort of. We'll get there. He's a work in progress. Um, but then after that, we have Carter doing his best to console Bob with our last audio clip that we pulled. It's a little long, but I just think it's very, very, very sweet. And even if it doesn't necessarily get super followed up on, it's a, it's a nice moment. Vascular? Yes. You're a vascular surgeon? Yes. Uh, I have to board. Board. Oh, you have to, uh, you have to take the board exam. Yes. If I not operate, the man die. But now when they find out, I will never board. Wait a minute, you operated on somebody? When they find out what I did. Oh, Bob. Did the patient die? Mm. Oh, well then they'll be grateful. Really? I'll help you with your English for the board exam. You would do it for me, that? Uh-huh. Yeah. Bob is a character that I really feel badly for because I feel like Bob is a character that they lost interest in very quickly. Like, Bob, come, she's only been, this is only, what, her second or third episode? Third. Third, yeah. And we've only, I, I looked ahead, uh, Bob leaves us early season two. So we're Bob's not around for very long. And I do feel like this is the high point of Bob right here. Like this is the most interesting Bob ever gets. And like we mentioned in the last episode or maybe two episodes ago, whenever she was introduced, um, that Bob becomes kind of the poster child for characters whose storylines get dropped and they never get mentioned again and they just sort of fade away. So yeah, this is kind of it for Bob in terms of being a really interesting character. We'll see her a few more times, but I don't think she ever gets as much focus as she does in this one. Yeah. But we, after that, we kind of go from there to, um, the back with the leg patient. Um, they have decided to try to, start putting the leg back on in the ER, which seems very weird. And, you know, the new Dr. Hicks and Benton are clearly of the same mind of this. They're like, ooh, let's do this cool thing. Like, even if it doesn't necessarily make the most sense. Well, um, they do it because all the ORs are full, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know. just seems still kind of weird. The weird part about it for me is that how many fucking doctors are in that room? That's the strange part, yes. Yeah. There's, like, like at least eight. Yeah, because, like, you have Benton and Hicks working on the patient, 
and plus then, the, ner- the two or three nurses that they need yeah for like assistance and anesthesia and stuff like that and then everyone else is just sort of like crowded around the thing i guess maybe just so they could like see yeah. it green yeah. and ross come in i think it's more of a spectacle than anything like yeah, but like all of the heavy hitters, like the people who probably should be treating other patients, that that's the part that kind of bugged me. Well, I, I, don't I know. think that, the I think in storyline though, I think that's what this is for. I think this is the last major patient of the day. Yeah. Like they've kind of wrapped everything else up for the most part. Like they've got the ability to kind of stand around and marvel at this thing that let's be honest shouldn't be happening in the ER and probably will never happen again. So they're you know, this is like appointment viewing for them being medicine nerds oh but this is not the end of surgery in the er though that's for sure well i'm speaking specifically of reattaching of a leg like that's something that oh that's fair that probably shouldn't ever happen in an er like you talk about not being 100 percent sterile and like like you don't want to reattach a limb in in a room that is less than anything less than 100 percent sterile but yeah especially after it's been getting like the, all the patients that they've had in it all day and yeah yeah they have like they mentioned that they haven't had time to like clean the rooms in between things and just ugh. yeah no thanks and then as this is going on this guy we haven't mentioned earlier but there's this guy whose wife is in labor and like she lo- has she's locked herself in her room because she wants to give labor she wants to have birth i can't say words she wants to have her baby while watching the snowfall she doesn't want to come into the er and so finally she's at least let the husband in and the husband calls them back while this trauma's going on and i think malik is like dr green it's mr blinker he'll only talk to you and dr green's like put him on speakerphone while this while they're trying to focus and reattach this leg dr green is shouting over everybody to mr blinker about how to deliver this baby and the description of childbirth just makes me really glad I've decided I'm not having children. I'm just going to say that. Like, it's great for all you moms out there. You go. I'm not going to do it. No, thank you. <laughs> then we get another little Linda and Carol moment. Uh, they're just sort of talking and pizzas are almost there. So that's, things are starting to wind down a little bit. Um, you know, they're just having a conversation and Linda, Linda just says to Carol, like, you know, Doug is a fabulous guy. We have fun. He's cute. He's great in bed. Ugh. Uh. <laughs> Sorry. Do you think there, uh, you know, do you think there's one perfect love? You know, like one, do you think we have soulmates or something like that? Because for Doug, it's you. Like, at least she realizes that. And she's not like, won't be like surprised at the heel turn, <laughs> so to speak. I mean, yes, it's good that she realizes that. Is I mean, I still think that the that interaction is weirdly placed. Like, like we literally just finished a day's worth of trauma from this thing, and you want to talk about your relationship right now? Like, I know that I know that Carol kind of started it earlier in the day, but that was before all the like shit hit the fan. So it's just sort of like, really, you want to yeah. talk about this right now? Like, you want to dump that on me right this second after I just finished watching a guy get his leg sewed back on? Like, it's just, just seems strange to me. 
Well, then she immediately turns around because the pizzas have been delivered. So she starts pe- passing out all the pizza. That's pizza pe- time. Pizza, pizza time. Pizza conquers all. Like it's, we can save the relationship talk for later after the pizza. All the, once the pizzas are getting passed out, Patrick, tur- Lizzie's rolling her eyes at me. Um, Patrick turns out the lights, and then turns on the Christmas decorations. And puts on Nat King Cole's The Christmas Song over the PA. And it's beautiful. And everybody's slow-mo eating their pizza. And it's amazing. And it's exactly the syrupy end that we need to this episode. Jesus Christ. And oh, my heart yeah, explodes yeah. every time. No, I'm, well, oh, I'm, it gets worse. I, it gets worse. It does, yeah. They lay it on real thick. They Oh, it's, it's, almost, it's almost there. But so then, you know, everybody's toasting each other with pizza smiling laughing congratulating themselves on a day well done dr bob and then we go outside mark's walking out and mr and mrs blinker have somehow shown up in five minutes (laughs) um to show the baby precious baby very cute baby the perfectly clean baby who's like shows no signs of having been born minutes earlier yep and it's just god bless you dr green and then Mark walks down the alley to the Christmas song. And it may be saccharine as hell, but the Christmas song with the falling snow and the fade out with Mark explodes my tiny cynical heart. <laughs> like, the only Boom. way it could have been more, like, saccharine it would have been if they'd have done, like, the heart silhouette and then, like, pulled it over <laughs> Mark. But I really like this episode. This is yeah, good. no, this is definitely my favorite one so far, and I, I've mentioned this before, but I fucking love, like, the disaster episodes like this, where it's just all chaos all the time, so I do apologize if we've made a, missed a few beats here and there with some of the patients and stuff like that, because there's so many, like, 15-second blink-and-you-miss-em little things with different patients, so yeah, this... it gets kind of hard to keep track of when you're trying to take notes and keep up with an episode we tried to get the major story beats exactly so it goes by quick and it's it's such a refreshing change of pace to from the real not you know really pace wise but like tone wise it's such a a refreshing change of pace from the last couple episodes we've had which have been really heavy that it's nice that we've got one that's just good Oh, and I have to give a shout out because one of one of our listeners mentioned something to me that I forgot to be grateful for. We have not seen Nymphomaniac Liz for like six episodes. Oh, maybe seven. I have to believe like don't don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Like I have to believe she's gone forever. I can't even I can't even entertain the possibility that she might come back. No, Bobby made my day that for now she's still gone. And I'm going to choose to be grateful for that this this Thanksgiving. There you go. All right, well, that'll about wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. You can find us on Twitter. We are at SetTheToneER. We are also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast. And we are at SettingTheTonePodcast on Instagram. You can also support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast, where you can help your fellow patrons unlock bonus shows, including a special season recap episode and eventually a monthly bonus show where we just sort of talk about whatever's going on for us at the moment different movies we've seen different video games we're playing how we feel about current events different stuff like that um our theme music 
as always, is provided by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? Uh, they can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. Um, they can also find me on Twitter with the Twitter account for my other podcast, at Popular Court Pod. Um, that's a show that I do with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we uh, take a different pop culture topic each week and put it through a little little mock trial uh lizzie was kind enough to be a guest on a recent episode uh on new metal and uh i think we've got plans in place for lauren to have a turn in the hot seat here pretty soon so stay tuned for that and lauren where can folks find you at well shortly apparently i'll be on the popular court for a couple one or two guest episodes but other than that i can be found on my personal twitter at lobob92345 and you can find me on my personal Twitter. I am at Random Gamer. Um, that's JM3R. And thank you again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next week for episode 11, The Gift, and have a great week.